All right, good morning, everybody. It is good to be here with you. Uh, my name is Eric Wakeling, one of the pastors here, if we haven't met yet. And uh, I am excited about uh, continuing this series, this Common Ground series, as we get into today's topic of wealth, poverty, and social justice. You know, you, you think about all the things going on as we consider how do we respond to the great needs in our society, how, uh, you know, what's the right way of going about that? What's the role of government? What's the role of the church? Uh, how do we come together? How, how do we do this whole thing? And so, uh, with, you know, as we get into it, uh, one thing that stood out to me, and Josh Simpson and I were talking about this, but uh, this is a picture of MacArthur Park in Los Angeles. And we take middle schoolers and high schoolers sometimes to on these mission trips to inner city Los Angeles. And it's this incredible opportunity for these students to be able to go and to serve, but also really to be impacted themselves. And one of the things that we do is we go to this, this park. Uh, and this park looks really beautiful, but this park has at times even hundreds of homeless people that live in this park like a crazy huge crime rate. They emptied the lake once, and it was like full of guns and stuff that they, had, they found uh, after uh, they drained the lake. And it's just this pretty intense spot. And uh, what we do is we take middle schoolers there. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like, wow. Uh, but, you know, but we do, and with adults. But we go, we get some pan dulce, these Mexican pastries, and take them, and we go and we give uh, a pastry to a homeless person, but not just to give it to them, but we sit and have a conversation with them and talk with them. And it's a pretty amazing uh, time, usually, for both parties involved. And one thing that's kind of crazy at this park, though, is there's a building across the street from this park. And it's uh, right across the street. It's actually the building is the perspective of this photo. So I think, actually, this photo might even be taken from the roof of the building I'm talking about. And this building is abandoned. This building is completely empty. And it has... Uh, written on it, it has the golden rule, it has Luke 6. It says, treat others the same way that you would want to be treated. And this building is completely empty. And I think that this building and this park is a, just an interesting picture of the problems that we have dealing with poverty in our culture is that you have a building with a hundred empty rooms next to a park with a hundred homeless people who are sleeping on the ground. And yet, Nothing happens. We've been going to that same park and that same building for like 20 years and having the same discussion, you know. And it's just like, what, why, why is it that we can't put these things together sometimes? And I know that there's a lot of complicated stuff involved in this. But it's just, it's a complicated issue to be able to try and, and, and solve this, you know, and, and to make an impact for it. And we want to figure out what's our role and what are we supposed to do in all of this. And when we think about this, this whole issue, issue of wealth uh, we, and poverty, we have to recognize that we are wealthy. Recognize the state that we come from. Now, I know there could be a few that have come from some pretty tough spots in this room, but what's um, crazy, I don't know if you know, but uh, there's this thing called Global Rich List, and the Global Rich List, you can put in how much money that you make a year, and it will tell you what, like, where you rank on the richest people in the world. And if you make $15,000 a year as an individual, you are in the top 8% of the richest people in the world. $15,000 a year. If you make, well, first of all, $34,000 a year is the per capita income uh, of Orange County. Okay? That doesn't mean everybody makes that, but that's the per capita income of an individual in Orange County. $34,000 a year. If you make $33,000 a year, you are in 
the 1%. You're a one percenter. If you make $33,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of the richest people in the world. Now, that's incredible. Like, that's crazy to think about. That's just all about income and all of that. But uh, we have to recognize where we come from in this issue. That many of us, you know, I would say the vast majority of us in this room would be considered wealthy on a global scale. And so we come into this and we have to then recognize what does Jesus do often? Well, we see the example of Christ is that he cares for the poor. He nurtures the poor. And he brings some conviction and challenge for those who are rich and those who are in power. He brings challenge and conviction. Now, that doesn't mean that the poor never need challenge and conviction. It doesn't mean that the rich never need care, right? It it doesn't mean any of that. It doesn't mean that the rich are always wrong and the poor are always right. It doesn't mean any of that. However, that's the approach that Jesus takes, and it's kind of the approach that we're going to take today. We need to have some conviction and challenge, and we also need to express some care for those who are poor. And we'll look at Micah 6.8, this great passage that you see on the screen here that um, I remember singing songs of this verse as a kid, and it's really stuck with me. But it says this, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice... To love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. All right? That's our overarching calling here today. To do justice, to love kindness, or you maybe even have read other translations or songs that would say love mercy, to love kindness or mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And so we'll look at that with some, some care and some conviction through this morning. So let's look at the, our first point for today is this, to walk humbly. The conviction for those of us who are rich is this, to walk humbly, that we would have an attitude of humility when we approach those who are in need or just in our lives in general, the way we approach what we have and maybe what others don't have, and and the way that we just uh, encounter people in the world, that we would be people who walk humbly. So let's talk through some of this for those of us who have some wealth. First of all, uh, oh, and by the way, if you've got your notes, I encourage you to pull them out. Uh, these little sheets that are in the bulletins. Uh, I encourage you to use these. You'll see that I'm going to point out a couple of verses as we go, but there's a ton more passages on here. Not a literal ton like the candy, but just a figurative ton as we go through here. And you can see where there's just some more that you can dig into on your own. Because this stuff, it's, I mean, when you talk about money and wealth and poverty, there's literally thousands of verses within the scriptures about this topic. Uh, So the first point I have for us is to recognize and remember that hard work and wise choices are rewarded. As we look into the scriptures, uh, hard work is rewarded. And it is okay to, you know, to earn and and to, to have income. Proverbs 24, the sluggard does not plow after the autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. He says, look, you need to work hard if you want to have Proverbs 24, 33 to 34. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come as a robber and your want like an armed man. So there's, there's warning against laziness or not working hard. And there's a recognition of reward for when you do work hard. Now, there's also, though, there's this sense that, yeah, we work hard and we earn. However... The love of money is something that is warned against in the scriptures and is even called this uh, a root of all sorts of evil. The love of money. Not money itself, but the love of money. And 1 Timothy 6 says, But those who want to get rich 
fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So we have to be careful, we have to be cautious about what we want, what we long for, what we desire. And that loving money can lead us uh, into all sorts of ruin. Uh, then we also look at another thing that where the scriptures talk about usury and inflated interest, how it's considered unfair. Now I was wondering how usury gets translated over here with our sign language folks. And you know, I, I know it might be a little more difficult word. I got her to break first service, but she's just going hard right now. It's, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, anyway, I did want to point out, it's awesome. I just think it's so wonderful how we have the sign language ministry. And yeah, amazing. That's how you clap, actually. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. And, uh, but also, I would to point out, I just would guess that there's a couple people out there that can sign. We'd love to have you, you know, come talk with us and see ways that you can help participate. Or if you know people who could um, be helped through this ministry and just have a really awesome day at church, it would be cool. So uh, anyway, as we move on, but usury and inflated interest is considered unfair. Leviticus 25, 35 to 37. Now, in case a countryman of yours becomes poor... And his means with regard to you falter, then you are to sustain him like a stranger or a sojourner that he may live with you. Do not take usurious interest. That's inflated, like overly high interest. Don't take usurious interest from him, but revere your God that your countrymen may live with you. You shall not give him your silver at interest nor your food for gain. So we have to have a heart that says, look, I'm not going to take advantage of someone that's poor so that I can then get more for myself. That we, we are to have a heart that wants to serve others, not take advantage of them. Uh, and then finally, in, in this part of it, for those that are wealthy, we think about how integrity matters more than the accumulation of just more wealth. Proverbs 22.1 says, a good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver or gold. So how we live, how we treat people, how we are thought of, you know, amongst our friends or people that that know of us. Our good name is more important than money and wealth and worldly views of success. So those are, these are some just advice for us as we consider being wealthy that we would not have this love of money or, uh, or not care about the kind of person we are as long as we have more money and success. Because the thing is with money, it, what happens is it's this whole thing of how much is enough? The, you know, often the answer is, well, just a little bit more, Right? How much is enough? Well, just a little bit more. You get here and we call it a destination disease, right? Well, if I just get to this point, then I'll be happy or then I'll have enough. But then what happens is it gets a little bit farther out. Well, if I just get there and, and we think that we'll be happy at this point, but, but we're really not. And, uh, and wealth, it can inhibit our reliance on God as we could be reliant on ourselves. Wealth, uh, you know, often we can have problems with treating people differently who have more money then we would treat someone with no money. You know, and then James speaks of that kind of favoritism. And so we have to acknowledge that, you know, I think there's, that, that can happen easily in us. We have to acknowledge it and fight against that. And so be careful when it comes to money. But then this, this next thing, first was this walk humbly. Now is to love 
mercy or to love kindness, to have this heart of caring for those who are in need. Uh, it's pretty amazing to see throughout the scriptures, through the Old Testament, as it talks through setting up these systems of, of helping those who are in need, of, of gleaning from the corners of the fields, leaving some behind for, um, you know, relieving debt of people every seven years, or this year of Jubilee concept, you know, where you have these interesting um, concepts of people being given grace and help when it comes to, to debt and all of that. So uh, a couple other verses that we can look at. Uh, when it comes to caring for the poor, there's this great passage in Matthew 26 where uh, this woman is, um, has got this expensive perfume and is anointing Jesus with it, right? And then everybody, uh, other people are complaining, disciples are complaining, saying, hey, it's a waste. It's a waste of that expensive perfume. We could have used that money, they said, to help the poor. Now, it was maybe not coming from... Um, you know, all great motives necessarily as it was coming from Judas, but we're not sure exactly. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Now, Jesus is saying the most important thing is worship of him in the name of Christ being made known and him being worshipped and proclaimed. That is the most important. And, and we say, yes, that is the most important thing is we want to place that above anything that we would even do when it comes to helping people with physical needs. We place Christ above all. And so we want to make his name known. This is no, uh, there's no sense of giving up on evangelism and giving the gospel of who Jesus Christ is and turning it into a social gospel. No, that's not what we're talking about. But we don't have to sacrifice one for the other. It's not an either-or kind of thing. It's totally a both-and thing. And a lot of people will even use this verse and say, well, Jesus says you'll always have the poor with you, so, you know, What's the point? Like, why should we even care if the poor are always going to be around? We don't even really need to do anything. That's how some people have used this passage. Now, I would just think that wouldn't be the heart of Christ. But you also recognize that Christ has the Torah in his mind as he says this. And we look back to Deuteronomy 15.11. And it says this, For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, You shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy, and poor in your land. So out of that, yes, you will always have the poor with you, but you are to have an attitude of open-handedness and giving and sharing and, and caring for those who are in need. And so we look at that. We want to be folks who help those who have needs. And then we would say this third one. So walk humbly, love kindness, and now do justice. Do justice. I think the best definition of do justice is simply this. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. If you love your neighbor, you're doing justice. If you're serving them in, in all ways. And just a couple of verses even as we talk about uh, that. And I'll get into the whole close the gaps thing in a second. But Isaiah 1.17 says, Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. And plead for the widow. Okay, that's our call. We need to be those who stand up for those who are in need, for those who are marginalized, for those who don't have, the widow, the orphan, we stand up for them. And if someone is ruthless to them, we call them out. We reprove them for what they do. Okay, we are to be advocates in justice for those who are in need. And then in Luke 11, Jesus calls out those in power. He says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, um, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. 
They were giving in, in a way to show how they were great. And Jesus says, yeah, you're supposed to give. Yeah, give, but don't neglect the love of God and justice. Defending those who are marginalized and have no one that will defend them. We want to be people who do justice. Now, when it comes to this whole thing of this being you know, like a common ground issue, it, it's hard because, you know, it, it was once that the church started the schools and the church started the hospitals and the church met all the needs that people would have. And it became, though, then that the government began to meet those needs, right? And the government is, is doing that, and some of us might not like the way that government is doing that. And it's hard to find, though, for us, like, a balance of what are we supposed to do? What is the role of church? What is the role of government? What do I do about systems that I might think are abusive or people that abuse systems? And, you know, it, it can be difficult to navigate some of this stuff. But we as a church have to recognize, I think at least, a role where most likely in a world where we're, gonna, we're not going to like get government to stop doing all that stuff and we're going to start, you know, doing everything. We need to say then, what is our role? And so we want to come in and close the gaps, to fill the gaps of social services in these ways, to find ways that we can meet the needs that aren't being met. So we meet physical needs that aren't being met, but we also meet uh, spiritual needs that aren't being met, right? We don't just meet the temporal needs. We meet the eternal needs of people. But it's both. It's a total both and. And, and these questions are hard. They're complicated. And so I thought uh, of someone that actually has some pretty awesome experience when it comes to this. I thought I would invite uh, a friend of Calvary, David Benavides, to come and help us to answer some of these questions. So please come on up, David. Let's get man. Welcome. So, David, just for all of you to know, David is a friend of Calvary. You know, uh, he's a graduate of Biola University at around a time where a lot of folks, um, at least that are even on staff, went there. And uh, also, he is the executive director of KidWorks, which is this nonprofit helping kids in the heart of Santa Ana. And then he's also a member of the Santa Ana City Council. And so it's like, if we're going to talk about how is the role of the church and, min- and nonprofit ministries that are partnered with the church and the role of government, how do we come together? It's like perfect, right? I think it's amazing. And so we just are grateful that you are here. And uh, I just thought, first of all, too, if you could, you know, just share with everybody a little bit of your story and, and how you got to this point. Sure. Perfect. Thank you, uh, Eric. And thank you all for allowing me to be here with you this morning. Uh, Calvary Church has been a longtime partner with, with KidWorks, a ministry that I get uh, to be uh, the lead of uh, here in Santa Ana, and it's, it's wonderful to be here in somewhat like a, uh, a reunion of sorts. There's quite a few Biola folks uh, here that are on staff, so friends uh, and, and contemporaries from, from Biola and uh, your own uh, senior pastor who's one of the trustees there. So I want to connect with you about uh, my Biola loan and how I can uh, get that dismissed. Uh, after seven years, maybe. right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's somewhat of a surreal uh, Thing for me to be in the roles, both as exe- uh, executive director of, of this nonprofit, it's doing just great things uh, here in town, and working with uh, some of our, our most vulnerable, some of our, our kids uh, living in, in tough neighborhoods, uh, but then also the role of uh, being uh, in government and being an elected uh, official. Uh, I ran for senior class president in high school and didn't make that, so I didn't necessarily think that I would ever be uh, elected to another <laughs> spot. But a number of years ago, I, I did have uh, uh, the opportunity to be elected to serve on, on, on the city and. For me, it's, it, it starts uh, uh, quite a ways back. Um, this idea of, of serving my, my role in, with the city, I feel, is, uh, as a ministry, 
giving back to the community. It's something that I learned from my dad. A lot of us here are we're, we're parents, moms, dads, uh, grandparents, uncles, you know, aunts. And uh, in reality, we have such an influence, particularly on the younger generation. And, and so for me, it was my father who instilled in me this value of, of taking our faith and, and, and living it out by, by serving those around us. Um, my dad, uh, you know, I had, I'm the first in my family to go to college. My dad did not have that, that, that privilege, that opportunity. My dad, in fact, uh, got to fifth grade uh, back in Mexico before he uh, wasn't able to continue to school so he could start working. He was the oldest in the family uh, to help my, my grandfather make ends meet uh, in, a, in a small town outside of Mexico City. Uh, so he worked hard all of his uh, life growing up as a child and, and then adolescent. Then as a young adult, he ended up working the, the industry, primary industry there was uh, silver mines. So he ended up working in the mines, and, and he realized after some time that um, there, it, it just, there wasn't a future there. Not only was it not necessarily the healthiest place to be, it was dangerous, and, and there just wasn't going to be a, a, an opportunity that he was going to have to, to really provide for, for the family as, as there was need. But, but he knew that, that coming up north, he knew that, that uh, up in the United States there was an abundance of, of, of work and opportunities as, as far as what, what he had understood. And so he and, and a friend of his from church saved up a little bit of money, and, and they ventured out here. They ended up in, in, uh, in downtown L.A., and he ended up washing dishes uh, for a large restaurant uh, down there. And um, at the time, my dad came out. He, he risked it all to come here. He didn't have documentations. He didn't have legal papers uh, to be here. Um, in fact, one of the times that he was an evening going back, uh, heading home from having attended church service out in L.A., he was picked up uh, by the PD at the time, at Los Angeles Police Department, and, uh, and he was then, uh, 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 deported, sent back uh, to, to his native land of Mexico. And um, that actually happened a couple of times uh, before one of the families at the church ended up helping him uh, do all of the, the documentation. It was much easier to do that then. We're talking a number of years uh, back in, in the, the 1950s or so uh, than it is now to be able to, to, to obtain uh, legal residency. Uh, but that was... Um, my dad worked hard and, and instilled in, in, in me and my siblings um, not only a, a drive towards um, education. I, I ended up in my senior year hearing about uh, Biola University, Christian school. And again, my dad instilled in us a, a, a strong commitment to our faith. Went to Biola. While at Biola, I heard of uh, this small program, a summer program called KidWorks, uh, where college students were challenged to move into inner city neighborhoods here in, in Orange County. Um, and in Santa Ana, I grew up in East LA. I'd never been out here to Orange County or, or, or to Santa Ana, but uh, I came out for what was supposed to be an eight-week program, Townsend Street, not too far from here. And those eight, that eight-week internship has turned into 20 years, the longest internship I've ever heard of. But I'm still <laughs> there, connected and involved with KidWorks, transformed my own worldview and thinking. Um, but it's been such a rewarding uh, opportunity to be able to uh, be in the lives of, of, of young people growing up with a lot of odds stacked against them, but really more than anything what I've learned. Uh, and after having been doing ministry there for about 10 years, back in 2006, a councilwoman for our district was termed out. Uh, and I was challenged and encouraged by some folks to, to run for office for that seat. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the things I was realizing is that there are these pockets, these neighborhoods, uh, that oftentimes are, are unseen, unheard. The kids growing up in these areas uh, uh, really, uh, I feel like, didn't necessarily have a voice of, of folks who were standing with them and walking with them. So I figured having somebody at the place, at City Hall, where decisions are made, where policy is set, where budgets are decided, uh, that it would be uh, an opportunity to potentially serve in that, in that role to be able to uh, try to advocate for, for some of that in those communities and those youth. And so I uh, was elected in, in 06 and have now... Uh, been serving since 06 to, to uh, uh, present day. I'm in 
second year of my last uh, term in, in, uh, on the council. Wow, that's I think an incredible story. Incredible to hear just the story of of your life as well. And you know, I, you, you mentioned when we were talking earlier too about like when you got to Biola. How was that for you as this kid who's coming out? Your dad had, you know, immigrated to America and undocumented gets the documents, and so he works hard, support the family, sends you to Biola, which is pretty expensive and then you know and so you go to this place and you you've got scholarships what was it like for you when you were there you know um, it, it was uh it was totally uh, uh just culture shock it was surreal it was just interesting i grew up in a small pentecostal church in east los angeles everybody's brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so and <laughs> this little tight family and i i uh, heard about this you know christian college and i figured it was going to be that that little pentecostal church experience but on steroids <laughs> with several thousand people and it's just going to be like this this sunday service type experience you know all week long and yeah. um and uh i i going on campus uh i remember actually coming in with my i didn't have any luggage or anything like that we we didn't travel as a family so i had my my glad trash bags all my myself walking into my dorm room and my roommate was actually, they were setting up his brand new computer and this, this entertainment system that, that, that his family just picked up for him. And yeah. so it was, it, was, it was interesting. It was different. Uh, also being one of the very few Latinos uh, on campus, uh, that was uh, coming from East LA, which is predominant Latino. So that was very different. Yeah. Um, it was really interesting. It was nine, 94 and there was a, a ballot measure. Uh, so it was August of 94 when I moved on campus and there was a measure on the, on the uh, California ballot, Proposition 187. Um, proposition 187, some of you may or may not be familiar, but that was a proposition that actually was birthed out of Orange County uh, to essentially uh, make it um, illegal for any type of services, public services, to, to be made available to uh, people who are in this country undocumented. So uh, any child going to school would no longer have been able to go to school. Anybody going to uh, medical, looking for, needing medical assistance would not be able to be, have that afforded to them. Anybody needing some uh, 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 food through any type of uh, program, public program, would not have been able to, to benefit from that. What's crazy is that that proposition actually passed and eventually ended up being uh, found unconstitutional. But the, the, the thing for me that, sta that stands out is that here I was, first my family, Latino family, going to college. My dad, just a man of strong Christian faith, uh, was so proud to, for me to go to this Christian school. Uh, and I remember there, there was this... Uh, Bubs, it was called Biolta University Bulletin Board. Facebook, pre-Facebook yeah. on campus. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're that kind of. So, so there was a, this this folder, chat folder, essentially, uh, U.S. News and, and Politics, and somebody put the question out there. You know, what what do you think will happen if Prop 187 passes? Um, and the response was, was rather shocking to me because I was so proud to be in this campus and and what I was looking forward to. And one of the responses uh, was, you know, if if Prop 187 passes. All Mexicans will riot because they have nothing better to do anyway. And, uh, and here I am as a Mexican myself, Mexican-American, mm -hmm. um, having made my family proud and, and having this, this utopian idea of what being in this Christian community was going to be like. And this is the way I was looked at. This is the way me, my dad, my family um, was, was uh, seen as we had nothing better to do than riot at this past. So it was, it was a very... Uh, uh, just, just yeah. emotionally and personally, just kind of a, uh, an op eye-opening, but uh, it, it, interesting experience. But, but uh, yeah, so it was yeah, a growing, yeah, growing wow. experience Yeah, for sure. thank you for sharing that, too, with us. And I, I think sometimes a lot of times for me, it helps, like, there's these issues, and then there's people, right? And it just sort of helps me to, you know, whatever you think about this stuff, you know what I mean? It helps me to just actually attach people to issues and helps me process in maybe a little more of a human sort of way. And... 
so with all of this, you know, with your experience, and especially this whole role of church, role of uh, government and all of that, like, what do you think about that in your unique role uh, doing both, you know? Uh, what, what do you think that we should do or think about that stuff? Well, it's, it's interesting. If, if I've learned, you know, nothing else, one of the things that, that, that I've learned over my, my um, years, uh, 10 years in, in office, is that government really doesn't have all the answers. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, at, at the end of the day, um, the city, for example, whether it be City of Santana or any city in Orange County or the county government or state government, provides some of the basic services, law enforcement, you know, safety and, and, and fire uh, service, paramedic service, our parks, streets, lights. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to challenges that our communities face, uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's one life that impacts another life. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who are struggling with whatever the case might be, children in our communities, uh, impacted, influenced by the, the, by the influence of, of, of gangs or drugs or, or, or families struggling to make ends meet, to raise mm-hmm. their child or education system or schools needing uh, volunteers, all of that, it's, it's, an, in, it's people. So, so it's the system of government is really not going to be able to solve all of that, all those issues. And I'm here to tell you, as, as an elected official within the local government, we need you. The, the, the city and government needs the church. Uh, ultimately, it's, it's, it is the church. It is, it is, it, it is us as, as a faith community, as a church community, that are ultimately going to make that, that, that impact so that some of those, those social ills, those challenges, that the, the lives of, of young people that we're losing to gangs, all of that, um, it's, it's, again, another caring individual that's going to be able to make that change. So it's serving, whether it's serving the homeless or, or a number of different things. Yeah. We need the church. The church is really going to be ultimately that, that make that, that difference. Awesome. And because, uh, yeah, you're saying it's that life on life is where the big change happens. And so if you could maybe just tell us then a little bit more about, uh, like, what's the heart of KidWorks and what do you do? And then how can, the, like, these like, actual people of Calvary Church, what could they do specifically even with KidWorks in Santa Ana? Well, you know, one of the things that we're um, blessed here in the city of Santa Ana, for example, we have a, a wealth of nonprofit organizations, whether mm-hmm. it's uh, community clinics, whether it's after-school programs, whether uh, it, it's organizations serving the homeless or, ser- or serving single moms or serving folks who are dealing with addiction and a number of different things. Um, all of those are, are very uh, uh, nonprofits, typically are very uh, thin-staffed. So we really depend on the nonprofit, on, on, on the, the, the volunteers to come in yeah. and be that, that support. And, and, and one of the things that, that we need as well is, um, is advocates, hmm. is folks who will pause and, um, and ask the questions. That's, it's, it's easy to stand up against uh, certain issues, whether it's immigration or whether it's uh, uh, looking at individuals homeless and, and think, well, you know, they're just not pulling themselves up by their bootstraps mm-hmm. or or, or whatever the case might be, or somebody who's on public assistance, and while well, they're not looking for a job, but, mm-hmm. but when people of faith step in, and it becomes personal, they ask them the questions, they get to know people, they realize people who are here in this country who risk it all, who, who leave their family behind to potentially never see their mom, their dad, their siblings again, um, do that out of desperation, out of a need mm-hmm. uh, to, 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 to be able to provide mm-hmm. for themselves, for their family. So that yeah. people of faith, Christians, us, we're the ones that should be stepping in and, and understanding those issues and bring, it's, it's a, those are, they're messy issues. Um, but, but we should be the ones who are stepping in and, and understanding and being those who speak on behalf of, 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 of the least, of, of those who are hurting. Mm-hmm. And so KidWork specifically, we step into some of the more challenging neighborhoods. We're in four, four neighborhoods in Santa Ana, kids growing up in, in neighborhoods, again, impacted by gangs, other things. And so 
when you leave a child there on their own, um, they're going to struggle. With, and, and without a positive role model, um, it's, it's very uh, uh, it, it likely that they could get pulled in. So what we do is we st- step in, we open up a community center, and we say, we're going to walk with you. But essentially what we're saying is we as a church community, faith community, because we need the volunteers to step in there and walk, whether it's helping out with our preschool program, our after-school treating program, our character formation, our leadership development programs, or helping uh, young people now. Uh, we have, uh, the last couple of years, we're proud of that 100% of our high school seniors graduated on time, an area where dropout rates are extra astronomically high. Wow. And they're going off to colleges and universities, first-generation students with so many odd stacks against them, wow. going to Biola and Azusa and Georgetown and UCLA and Cal State Fullerton. And so having folks, all of us have something that we could be, give, whether it be a tutor, whether it be a, be a graphic designer or, 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 or volunteering construction. There's a number of different things hmm. that we can all step in and, and, and be a part of uh, to, to be able to make a significant difference in our community and at KidWorks awesome. specifically. Awesome. Well, we, we want to help. Yeah, let's give a hand to David. Don't go yet, but yeah. So we want to serve KidWorks. David is going to be at a table in the lobby, and he'll be able to just uh, talk to you more about it. And we want to respond, okay? We want to be people who respond. It says in Luke 12 that with those who have much, much will be required. That we are are called out to, to respond to the great needs that we have in this world. Uh, the needs of po- poverty and the, the needs of so many people in our community. And so we want to reach out to meet those needs. And we're probably not going to do that just by kind of thinking about that as like whenever I might have time or whenever, you know, whatever money's left over at the end of the month. We don't usually just spend all of our money and kind of like, oh, I got some extra. Let me give it to the poor. Or, you know, I've got some extra time. Let me go serve. No, we have to lead that. We have to lead our giving. We have to lead our time and to then budget our money and time to be able to help those who are in need. And so we have to be proactive in that. So I challenge you to be proactive in that. And I want you to look at... uh, the, the bulletin one more time if you got it. Uh, and just here's some next steps that I just briefly want to point out to you. Next steps that you can look into like right now today, okay? Uh, first of all, here's just a mindset thing. I'd love if you could identify one thing that you can do to minister to the poor, to those in need this month, every month, okay? One thing you can do every month. I mean, if you're doing stuff already, maybe it's every week, but start. I, you can do one thing Every month. We can do that. Like, let's identify that thing and plan for it and go for it. Uh, a few of those, uh, those, those things could be is you can go to the KidWorks table today, walk out right now, and find out ways that you can serve with them right here in Santa Ana. You could go out. We have a table out there today for a ministry called Safe Families for Children. Safe Families for Children is one of these incredible ministries that I think is, when you think of closing the gap, filling the gap between what government can do and what the church can do, I think it's such a great example. What Safe Families does is that if people uh, from, from churches who volunteer to take in kids, so let's say you have, uh, for example, a poor single mom with three kids and she is homeless and she needs to do some things to get her life together, but her kids are going to be taken from her if she doesn't get those things right. Well, safe families would come in and say, voluntarily, she can have her kids cared for by a loving, safe family who will then, when she, as she can then work on getting her life right, then her kids will go back to her, you know? And so before the government would have to come in and take those kids out, 
that we can come in and help and, and to see that need met, to protect the family, to prevent child abuse before it happens and neglect and all of that. So it's incredible. So I, uh, it really fills that gap. They have a table in the lobby. They have an event coming up that I'd love you to check out. So go out there and talk to them about things that you can do. They have other things, not just taking in the family or not just taking in kids. Uh, we also have that neighbor good table in the lobby. Uh, so that neighbor good thing, we're doing an event that we're doing next month. We'd love to have you be part of it, volunteer to serve with in it. And then finally, we have uh, coming up this Wednesday night, we do have our common ground conversation on this topic, where we'll have a chance to talk through these issues of wealth, poverty, and social justice with David. He will be there uh, with Karen Bergstrom, who's a member of our church and also uh, provides leadership for safe families in the Western States region. And then also a man named Lee DeLeon, who is uh, Templo Calvario is a church in Santa Ana. It's the largest Spanish-speaking church in Santa Ana. And they have a community development center that Lee runs. And he's just an awesome guy. And I think that you'll really learn from uh, all three of those folks just some great things about how we can uh, step in and what's the role of the church and the role of government and how we work together and all that stuff. So I encourage you to be a part of that. Um, and then just uh, finally, as we wrap up, we're going to head into a time of worship. Let's even invite the worship team to come on up. Um, we do find common ground at the table. We have a chance to receive communion at the different tables around the room. And as we participate in communion, we, we talk about the table as the great leveler. It levels all of us. We are all one. We're all the same as we approach the table of communion. We also give at the stations. We'll have a chance you can get up, receive communion, give your offerings. And when we give... We take that thing that we can hold most tightly, money, and it isn't just to give to support things. It's also to give to minister it to your own heart so that you would say then, Lord, okay, this thing that can rule me, this thing that I can hold so tightly and rely upon, I'm going to surrender to you to rely upon you. And so that's what we'll do is we give. And we'll have a chance you can receive prayer at the prayer points. Uh, we also have a chance to worship uh, now in song. And we're so excited uh, here just in this set. I think we're going to kind of go off as we are led by Victor and the bands. And we love you, Victor, uh, immensely. We know it's not about you, but it's also about you today a little. <laughs> and uh, But just I think of us starting Elevation 10 years ago uh, and side by side and how amazing you've been. And you've developed so many leaders and this group's representative of some that We've even developed and sent out to other ministries and just uh, excited uh, for you and your life. And we pray for you, the best dude, the biggest smile. And uh, let's pray and let's uh, worship God together. Yeah. say something real quick? Yeah, yeah. I was just sitting over here. Um, I was sitting with my family over here, my wife, and just a bunch of other knuckleheads that are, uh, belong to me. Uh, man, I love, I love you. I love what you had to say, Eric. I love what you guys had to say. 
Um, this just reminds me, that was our story. We were, we were kids who, you know, had nothing. My mom, well, first generation, my mom came from Mexico. Um, statistically, man, I shouldn't be standing up here. There's no way. Statistically, my family that's over there shouldn't be where they are. But God has blessed us and allowed me to be here leading in worship. I am so thankful for God's work. And all it took for me, I'm not, I'm not joking, I tell these people, how many have heard this story? Um, cheeseburgers. Cheeseburgers. It was somebody literally picking us up and offering cheeseburgers to come to church. So we think about this, these lists, we think about these things, and sometimes we think, man, those things are way too big for us to do. No, it's not. You can make a difference in someone's life. Somebody make it, made a difference in my life, in our lives. Um, and God is glorified. God can be glorified through that. So I just, I want to urge you in that. Follow what God's calling you to do. Take some steps. Be bold and do that. Let's let me pray for us and we're gonna we're gonna keep going. <laughs> Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God, for who you are. Lord, I'm excited to get to worship with my friends this morning. God, Father, will you be stirring our hearts? Lord, will you be moving in us, Lord? Um, break our hearts as we sing and break our hearts for what breaks yours, God. Lord, lead us in what it looks like, Lord, and what that looks like. So, God, we offer this worship to you, Father. Guide us in that. Be with us as we, as we sing, Lord, as we respond to you. Let's all stand as we...